Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer, and I'm here in the office with Calvin. Heidi is not with us this week. On the road. But we'll have a report from her uh, um, also later in the show. Um, uh, you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes. And on social media, we're at Facebook.com slash PWComicsWorld. Um, this week on More to Come, uh, we're going to preview the Mocha Arts Festival, the annual um, New York City-based uh, festival of indie, uh, small press, and self-published comics. Uh, that takes place this weekend, April 7th and 8th uh, at the... Um, uh, the Metropolitan West event space on West 46th Street and at that hotel right around the corner from Inc. 48. Um, anyway, yeah, I'll be there. Anyway, uh, also, Frank Miller, D.C., and the book trade. Uh, the New York Times um, uh, uh, names two graphic novel columnists. And Heidi will report back uh, on the Diamond Retailer Summit just prior to C2E2 in Chicago. So, uh, very quickly... This, this week, the MoCA um, Arts Festival. Um, this is, uh, as I went on far too much in the intro, uh, this is an annual uh, show on uh, comics, in, uh, indie and self-published comics in New York. Um, and we're go- uh, I think this, this year's featured guest uh, is Love and Rockets uh, co-creator Jaime Hernandez. He's a special guest at the show. And there will also be a, a sort of a feature featured look at an international lineup of comics artists, including uh, Max Radakis, Anna Hafish, Ivan Ilagbe, who uh, he has a book that a lot of people is talking about, Yellow Negroes, and Dominique uh, Goblet. Uh, other artists scheduled to appear include Raj Chas, Andrew Iden, and Nate Powell of Mar- the March Trilogy fame, uh, Mike Mignola, Nicole George. Ariel Schrag and others. Um, let's see. And oh, and there's actually going to be a public conversation between um, uh, Tune Books publisher Francois Mouly, also one of the you know co-founding editors of Raw, along with her husband Art Spiegelman, and Mark Siegel, who's a noted cartoonist, as well as the founder of First Second um, Macmillan's graphic novel imprint. So, uh, April seventh and eighth, Metropolitan West. You want to say something, Kate? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so I was just waiting for you to finish what you Sorry, were saying I, so I, I could say I'm something. I'm blabbering. Then, I apologize. <laughs> and then uh, that, just, that just never happened. So there's a lot of really great programming they have planned. We can't go into all of it, but it really does range from history to, uh, you know, how to do your own comics career to, you know, conversations with the greats about their own work. Like, um, Roz Chast is in conversation on... Saturday afternoon. Yes. Yep. Yep. I, I love the names they have for the different rooms of this this show. They've got the Helvetica room, yes, the yeah. Garamond room. 
And then they've just got the Patreon lounge because yeah. obviously you can't have an indie show these days without Patreon. Uh, yeah, I'm wondering was this hotel a former uh, you know print shop or something? You know, well, you know, funny. maybe they just renamed the rooms for the purpose. Yeah, no, I think that this I think that this this hotel is a former uh, print ha- printing house. That uh, would really, make sense. I think that's but it, why. that makes it a wonderful fit for the show. Yes, it does. As a matter of fact, uh, and yeah, and actually, it's very interesting um, on. Um, this is this Saturday afternoon? I'm trying to think. On Saturday afternoon, one of the other shows, um, I mentioned that Andrew Iden and Nate Powell, um, the uh, the writer and artist, respectively, uh, who worked with John Lewis, Congressman John Lewis, to create Marsh Trilogy, they're going to be talking, and they are going to be talking with the National Book Foundation Executive Director, Lisa Lucas, uh, who's pretty awesome herself. So that should be a really great conversation. Yeah, one that I would never have thought of, but really, I'm like, you know, you have a point. There's going to be a panel, one of the last panels of the con, entitled Why Nancy. Oh, yeah, that's... uh, uh, Ernie Bushmiller's comic Nancy, which was in the funny pages even when I was a little kid, um, is apparently one of those love it or hate it comics. And so (laughs) they they are going to discuss in depth... um, panelists including Paul Karasik, Mark Newgarden, Roz Chast, uh, Paul McDonald of Mutz, and Gary Panter of many, many odd and unusual comics will discuss why they love Nancy yeah, and yeah. why Nancy is so very controversial even yeah. today. Yeah, and, and and for those who may not know, How to Read Nancy is it, it is a new book by by Paul Karasik and Mark Newgarden, and it and it, it and it's a uh, uh, it's a book-length critical look at the com- comic strip and, and how it breaks down and how it does something that no other comic strip seems to be able I, to do. I, I can cannot imagine how you get an entire book out of it, but I believe <laughs> that they have. It's a massive book, too. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so be sure and, uh, and check out. Uh, it really, in. there's a lot. Really, there's actually even a lot more. I mean, Creota Wilber, Creota Wilberg is going to be uh, there. She's got a new book out, Draw Stronger, all about mm. how uh, uh, how cartooning basically affects the body and how you can become better and and head off orthopedic injuries. Basically, ergodynamic drawing. Yes, for uh, the yeah, comics yeah, absolutely. That's a good way to put it. So, all right, be there or be square. Uh, it's really one of the great shows of New York, indie comic shows of New York. And uh, it's organized by the Society of Illustrators, and it's uh, really better every year. So, check it out, folks. Check it out. And uh, just so you know, listeners, this is not one of your expensive cons like New York oh, no, Comic yeah. Con. No, no, no. Uh Entry cost is usually very low, so it's definitely worth your time. Yeah, it's like seven bucks, I think. So uh, check it out. You can buy tickets at the door. Uh, really a great show. Yeah, a lot of fun. Okay, next on our list, um, we we did a show. Uh, we did a story last week, uh, or I wrote a story last week. Uh, DC has inked uh, Frank Miller, um, obviously the uh, creator of Dark Knight Returns. Uh, uh, also the creator of the Sin City books, as well as the director of the movie, um, you know, and a just a sort of looming presence over the uh, the superhero comic book world um, because of he's had so many, you know, iconic uh, um, uh, books to his credit. But DC Inc. Frank Miller uh, to an exclusive five project deal. 
Now, I say five projects because not every project is necessarily going to be a book, but there's going to be at least two original graphic novels. One of them is going to be called Superman Year One, mm-hmm. uh, and it's going to be done with um, uh, John Romita Jr. is going to do the art. Uh, and uh, according to I, – I, I had a long conversation with uh, Dan DiDio and Jim Lee, the co-publishers mm. of uh, – of uh, of DC Comics about this, and it's going to sort of redefine Superman for a new generation of fans. Um, uh, well, it's interesting yeah. to choose Frank Miller for that role. Uh, yeah, he tends to be a little grittier, but you know who knows. Well, that that's a good point that you're making, and I'm gonna and I'll tell you why in a, in a second. Um, he's also going to be doing his first. Um, um, young adult graphic novel, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Uh, did I get that right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's going to um, it's going to basically center around Carrie Kelly, mm-hmm. the young female uh, succeed successor to Dick Grayson, uh, and she's the new Robin. And so he's going to fill out her role, and I guess he's kind of going to bring us up to date on where Carrie Kelly is in Frank Miller's mind. So uh, he introduced that character. He's going to actually, you know, kind of, I guess, create a new mythology around her. Um, or at the very least, further her story. Further her story in some way or another. And, but she's going to have a book devoted for her, a full original graphic novel devoted for her. Now, you, your, the, your point was well taken. Uh, Frank Miller's known for a grittier, more adult take on graphic novels, on comics. Generally speaking, most of his work yeah. is. Yes. Uh, one of the things that uh, our conversation with, besides this, the, the announcing this exclusive about this deal, uh, Frank Miller is one part of what DC sees uh, uh, as a uh, an an overriding strategy of positioning DC Comics for uh, the book trade mm. in the future, uh, and they they gave me a sort of a timeline of. Um, of organizational strategy uh, starting about 2008 when they switched their book distribution to Penguin Random House Services, really kind of the preeminent um, book distribution, uh, book distributor mm-hmm. in the business. But in more recently over the last, you know, two years or so uh, with uh, DC Superhero Girls. Yes. Enormously Huge successful. Success. Uh, a line of graphic novels and merchandise aimed at preteen girls. Um, also, of course, um, um, uh, uh, the launch of Young Animal, the imprint um, led by Gerard Way, the, the pop music star that's doing, uh, you know, basically done a line of revived and somewhat eccentric uh, superhero originals. Now, let's be fair. He is a rock star. He's absolutely a rock star. Yes. It's not uh, like he is like Britney Spears or something like that was that was an actual yeah, band. Yeah. But but he's also got comic book cred too. I he mean, does, he started he does. off. He yes, started he was, out even before he ever had a band, being in comics. Absolutely, he was an switched intern. from comics to rock. Yes, then and when that always, music thing got old, he moved back yes. to comics. Yes, and I interviewed him about it, and I uh, you know he interned at DC Comics. Uh, he won an Eisner for writing uh, a comic for Dark Horse, um, and he has been kind of the go-to guy running this imprint. Um, so, uh, uh, then of course, just this year, they also announced the launch of DC zoom, a middle grade, uh, graphic novel imprint at DC and DC Inc, which is a YA graphic novel imprint. And they also announced a series of books. They're going to come out under those. So, um, we had a long talk 
basically about how this positioned them for the future. Um, uh, Jim, uh, uh, I think Jim Lee, uh, excuse me, the deal talked about looking at their business strategy, how we're, they're developing a new strategy uh, to get the widest possible audiences for their characters. So, uh, and I should let out one of the other things that they uh, announced is the black label imprint, which, which we had discussed, which already. we did discuss. And in fact, Frank's book will be uh, Superman uh, Year One will be published under the, ba- the black label imprint, as will a number of other uh, books. I think Kelly Sue DeConnick is doing a Wonder Woman book. Mm. Uh, the, this is an, this is an uh, uh, attempt in some ways to respond to some of the things that retailers have been asking about, about getting stories out of continuity. Yeah. Um, the, these books are going to be uh, done by a wide range of authors, some um, some um, n- more novel-oriented, uh, prose industry-oriented, some famous comics artists, uh, comics, excuse me, writers. Uh, and they're, they're going to be out of continuity, and they really are going to be aimed at giving the authors a chance to put a personal stamp on, on a whole variety of DC superheroes. So when I said that Frank Miller had a more gritty take on the things, you said, oh, yeah, I'm going to say more about that. And yeah. then you never did. No, I so, just finished saying. <laughs> so, no, okay, I, I didn't see how that linked back. Uh, no, no. My point was that, that, that these, this, in particular, the black label, these yeah. are going to be aimed, these are not aimed at, at YA or, or um, middle grade. This is, these are aimed at adults. These are bringing in both um, prose authors as well as well-known comics authors yes. to write and put a personal stamp on he ah, said that's so this, what i mean this by this is this is where the personal stamp comes yes, in yes exactly Got it. exactly so this is meant to to give these authors some room to be creative and, and not have to be way. forced into you know doing a character that's in continuity and you've really got to pay attention to what's going on around you this way they feel that they can bring out and because of that bring a larger audience maybe yeah. new readers in particular uh to the to the character, yeah, and and some creators who maybe are more used to playing in the superhero universe recently uh, might be able to write a standalone story without thinking too hard about keeping it in continuity. But other people don't want to don't want to do that. They want to do whatever. If they want to change what planet yeah. Superman comes from, they can do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think even experienced comics writers. Uh, would love a chance. I mean, very often you, you, when you hear these writers talk about doing the characters, you know, there's always some humorous aside. I mean, when I see them at conventions, for instance, yeah, yeah. Well, I had this idea or that idea, but you know, we we had to let that go. Yeah, <laughs> and and that's understandable when you're writing the character under you know the usual kind of boilerplate of yeah. how it's supposed to be done. But this is I, this is they think because really uh, one of the things both. DiDio and Jim Lee uh, talked with me about was how, you know, some of their most famous works, Watchmen, um, you know, the, these yeah. are works that were really iconoclastic. And standalone. You know, they were, yeah, they don't fit into any kind of continuity. They're completely different. Even Dark Knight, I mean, it completely well, changed Dark the Knight. whole traje- trajectory of Batman. It did, and yet it still was out of continuity. Yes, those absolutely. Two things worked well together. Yeah. Yeah, so now I can see, and also I could see how having giving creators room to play specifically and intentionally outside of continuity would be beneficial to the main line as well. Because um, sometimes 
you know, complaints from from readers, it's not my Superman, etc. And indeed, complaints for other writers who are like, you just killed off five characters I wanted to write right. next month. Um, that's not a problem if you're writing something standalone, if you're basically writing in Elseworlds. Yeah. Like, you can, therefore, you can feel free to do whatever, and nobody else has to worry about the toys getting put back in the toy box. Exactly. I mean, one of the things they emphasize is that they they know how to publish for their core market, the direct market. Yeah. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to go, well, they're going to go through the usual changes that they do there. Yeah, they're going to you know, the the, You know, the various, you know, crossovers and the like, but they're going to be within continuity. Um, this is really uh, an effort uh, to do what some other retailers have often said is, is, you know, I can sell a book where I, you know, I don't have to explain, you know, yeah. go back 20 issues to, to make sure you know what you, what, what's going on here. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, I think that can be done within continuity. The, the yeah. standaloneness, that's not a problem. But the not having to worry about putting your toys back in the toy box in the sure. condition you got them, that's definitely sure. a plus to being outside of continuity. Yeah. And, um, I mean, and uh, one of the other things Didio mentioned was, you know, their their numbers in the book trade are, are going steadily up. They mm-hmm. sell a lot of books. Um, and he, they They're said, we want to branch them. out, you know, and we want to pr- produce books with a long shelf life. So, um uh, I mean, so this is a big deal signing Frank Miller, but it's a big deal that's part of a broad strategy that that they see uh, is focusing on where they see the biggest amount of growth likely. Yeah. But let's let's talk about Frank Miller for a minute. Mm. Um, so Frank Miller has kind of dropped off the radar for oh a good while. Uh, it's great to see him back. Do you know what's up? Well, he's been ill. I mean, he, you know, I mean, I haven't he's seen him in a Ill. long time. Okay. He has. He's. He's. Uh, I mean, I. I, can, I don't. I don't know the full extent of uh, if anybody. Yeah. I mean, I interviewed him. The last time I interviewed Frank Miller was probably ten years ago, mm. and I was worried for him. I mean, you know, he was there and he talked, but he was incredibly frail. Um, and uh, you know, I, I was just worried. Yeah, I hope um, he's feeling better now. Uh, over the last few years, uh, there's been more and more pictures of him around, out and about. Uh, I mean, I think he does need some assistance. Uh, I don't claim to know a lot about it. Yeah, I've seen him here and there, but he seems to be recovering and he's doing projects. And um, you know, obviously, uh, he he must be doing well because he's just signed up to do a major deal. And in fact, some of the times of the last two or three years where he's been in public. He has been with Jim Lee and Jim has either commented on it or, or sent up, you know, put something on social media. About well, maybe it. they've been waiting until he was well enough for the yeah. deal. Yeah. So clearly something's good. Something good is happening uh, around Frank Miller. He's back. He's, he's creating and, and they've turned to him when they want to make a major new statement about, you know, probably the greatest character that they own. <laughs> Good for him. Yeah. It's always good to see, um, you know, classic creators coming back. Yeah, yeah. So I would say stay tuned to DC Comics. I mean, I think, you know, all of the publishers are starting to pay attention to the book trade. Now, around here at Publishers Weekly, we've been crowing about this for, for many, many years. Um, uh, and uh, we've seen some change, but there's more change mm. uh, to come. Marvel. Marvel needs some change. That's true. Um, because, I mean, Marvel has many strengths, but I will say that DC is stronger in the book trade. Oh, there's no doubt about it. So, Hands you down. know, there's yeah. definitely room to catch up there. Yeah. No, Mar- Marvel is doing things. I have heard uh, 
they're uh, become a little bit better at keeping a lot of their backlist uh, books uh, in in stock. Yeah. I know the retailers used to complain about that, but it's still kind of hit and miss with them. So it'll be interesting with there's so much new leadership over there now. Yeah. If we're going to see, including, uh, you know, certain friends of the show, Sven Larson is over there now. Mm. Um, uh, it'll be interesting, uh, also a book trade guy. So it'll be very interesting to see now uh, where Marvel is going to the book trade and if they can really stabilize that program and, and, you know, and grow it, you know, well, in I mean, a sensible, reasonable because, way. I mean, part of the reason why there's so much audience for their product in bookstores now is Marvel's movies. Sure. And it's always seemed like such a, a drop ball that, you know, all these people who would never go into a comic store are not buying Marvel comics because the Marvel comics aren't there for them to buy. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, it's funny. A lot of times it's kind of hard to pinpoint a comic or if there isn't even a collected edition of comics that are often used um, in the it. writing of the script. Well, but I mean, the thing is that what you can do, and you can do what I've seen DC do with, um, I mean, say what you will about their movies, but they have positioned their books well for it, is, and I've also seen indie publishers do it with books that were sort of vaguely had a movie based mm -hmm. on them, Yeah, is that even if, you know, this is not the book on which, say, the Black Panther movie was based, yeah. you pick a really strong collection of Black Panther, a really strong collection of Wonder Woman, if your movie's Wonder Woman, that would contain elements the movie viewer would recognize and yeah. would enjoy. And so you, then you position those out front on your end caps or whatever. Um, and DC's been good at that, and no. Marvel has been Not so less good. so. Yeah. I think, I, although I do believe that, wasn't it the uh, Captain America Winter Soldier movie? They're actually... They positioned that one well, but that one had a very obvious tie-in. Yes, it that did. That one had a very yes. specific book that was kind of a no-brainer to put yes, out there. Yes, exactly. Some and of it the others really that were well. less obvious, yes. they didn't do as much. Yeah, yeah that was because I actually read that went back to read that because it, it really did have the core of the plot. It did. You know, in it. So that was a, that was a win for that them because you, you, they could point you to a specific book. And it had a really good creator on that book. Yes, so it was yeah. a strong book, yeah, not absolutely. just a tied-in one. Yeah, No, absolutely. Yeah, it was not actually a tie-in. It really was a, a strong work that you could very easily connect with the movie. It was good. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so yeah, the, I mean, the, the, the question of the influence on the book trade on American comics continues to grow. And I think DC is just showing uh, how it's affecting them, you know, publisher at the highest level. So keep well, your eye on that. It's, it's really only natural. I mean yeah. – the graphic novel is a book. Yep, yep. And and that's where the readers are. And and, and we're living in a period now. Um, this is not to take away from superhero comics. No. It, it, they're just, uh, there's a generation of readers that just wants more. They want their superhero comics and well, other stuff too, other no, genres. But, but even people who want superhero comics don't necessarily want to go to a comic book store. Uh, that's they true don't. too. <laughs> so That's quite you know, true. But just we're not people... knocking comic no, book stores. No, it's just... <laughs> no, this is not at all to knock comic book stores. Yeah. I love comic book stores. It's more a more places having comics is good for people who it's, want yes. to read comics and yeah. good for people who want to sell comics. Absolutely. And absolutely. And also good for comic stores that understand that book product is as important, you know, as periodical product. Uh, absolutely. So, um, all right. So, moving right along. Chugga, 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 so. Chugga. 
Uh, okay, so you know, a little over a year ago, um, to the surprise of everybody in our side of the business, the comic book side, the New York Times, uh, you know, somewhat abruptly, did away with a bunch of its bestseller lists, including the graphic novel and the manga bestseller list. Yes. Um, you know, it was, uh, I don't know, a Monday Night Massacre or something. I can't yeah, remember exactly it was, what it was. It was not. People was were not, not happy. Time. People were it, not it really, happy. It really made it hard for people to target, well, what are the big graphic novels yes. right now? Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, and, and such in, great shorthand. Yeah, and in-house, many, uh, many of the editors, uh, at, at, particularly at New York, publishing houses, you know, yeah. the Macmillans, the Random Houses, the Simon Schuster's of the world. Uh, they kind of complained that, you know, uh, besides letting readers and consumers know, like, what books everyone's reading around the country, in-house, when you get something on the New York Times, Bella's list, yeah. your colleagues and your bosses, they understand that. It, it, <laughs> it helps translate graphic novel world into regular publishing Absolutely. World. Absolutely. Because believe me, everyone at a publishing house understands what the New York Times bestseller means, the bestseller list means. Yes. Uh, so many editors were worried it is going to be very harder for them to justify uh, and raise the profile of the format and really of the category in-house uh, as much as to market the books to readers. But um, so the, the, you know, the Times still said it, you know, they were, they were going to come up with better ways to cover a variety of uh, of categories that had dropped. It wasn't just comics, mass market. There was some mass market paperbacks. The bestseller list was dropped too. But really, the comics people really really squealed like piggies when it happened. Okay, flash forward a year and a half or so, or a year and a quarter or so. The New York Times, uh, and it's a, and I should say one other thing. Uh, an agent, uh, Charlie Olson, who represents a number of comics artists, among them Nate Powell. Mm. He actually organized uh, a letter signed by over 900 comics people, uh, really appealing to the New York Times. This is about two months ago. Appealing to the New York Times to restore the list. And uh, now, the Times never responded to that. You of know, course not. Because they the don't Times. do that. Gods don't answer fan mail. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but uh, about a month ago, um, or really about, excuse me, about two weeks ago, the New York Times uh, announced um, that it had uh, appointed two graphic novel columnists, regular columnists that will be writing in the New York Times book monthly. review. Uh, yes, they'll be on a monthly basis. Uh, the two times are our celebrated academic and comic specialist Hillary Shute uh, and novelist, um, former Penguin Press executive editor and a co-founder of the literary magazine The Believer, uh, Ed Park. So they're going to start this month. Uh, they're going to alternate on a monthly basis. Um, uh, I was able to put out a call to various publishers, uh, comics publishers, who were very excited about it. Um, they were very excited and delighted to hear that the Times had uh, come through. Um, they still want their bestseller list back, though. Yeah, well, they'd like that, but um, it's pretty They'll clear that that's not going to happen. Uh, I, I was able to contact Charlie Olson. He was in the, uh, he was at the Bologna Book Fair, mm-hmm. um, but he, he said he did also said he was delighted to see it. He'd still love to see the bestseller list. Uh, uh, you know, if I were him, I wouldn't hold hold my breath. But who knows? Anyway, we we're, we're, we do think this is an exciting development. Uh, 
And I mean, I yeah. admit, maybe I'm prejudiced as someone who loves graphic novels and the wide variety of them out there. But like, one column a month is nice, but it's one column a month. I mean, well, I, I mean, think what it means is regular coverage. It, well, yes, I'm trying not to sound as you know demoralized as that, uh, but I, I get your drift. Yeah, I mean, let's put it It's a nice start. I, I get it your does, drift. It, yeah. It, it uh, but the times, like you know, the times bone. can throw a lot of exposure, even if it is monthly. Yeah, uh, I would nice. have to, I would have to hope also that we're going to see more reviews. Yeah. As well, let's let's hope that let's hope that goes Please hand in hand. Please let this not be a substitute for reviews. Yeah. And um, uh, I ha- I did exchange some emails with uh, Ed Park because uh, uh, our story unfortunately had misspelled his name. Oh uh, but he did say that. Uh, he sort of gave me a a, a soft uh, agreement to uh, to talk to me further down the road a bit yeah. uh, about you know sort what of a they we'll were doing. See. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see whether you know he does or not. But uh, there may but, be more to come. Yeah. Yes. Let's hope there is. So uh, so keep your eyes on the New York Times book review uh, uh, sometime this month, where you'll see the first column. I'm not sure who's going to uh, kick it off, but. Um, We'll see. Yeah, we will see. More to come. All right. So um, now we're also going to feature uh, a report from our co-host, Heidi, the Beat McDonald. Uh, we miss you, Heidi. Yeah, we'll miss you. She's not here right now. Um, but Heidi's going to, Heidi is uh, in uh, the Windy City. She's in Chicago. Uh, she's going to be attending the Diamond Retailer Summit. Um, and, uh, so she's going to give us the lowdown on that and over to you, Heidi. Hi, welcome to more to come. Uh, this is Heidi McDonald, the editor in chief of the beat at comicsbeat.com. I'm recording live from, uh, my hotel room here in Chicago, uh, and also from the diamond comics retailer summit, uh, 2018 edition. Anyway, uh, yes, uh, so this the Retailer Summit is a really one-day event uh, with a uh, reception on Wednesday and then a breakfast on Friday. And then on Thursday, it's a full day of presentations. I, I think we must have seen more presentations at this summit than we ever did before. There was 12 at dinner alone, which is quite a few. Uh, then... There was a breakfast presentations and uh, lunch presentations. So the big news here isn't really what's being said on stage. I have to be honest. I think it's more just what's going on behind the scenes. Um, there's a lot of people moving around uh, of late in comics industry. Um, you know, Mel Kylo, the very popular marketing manager, for, uh, was at Boom. He was he was let go from there. He left, but he was just hired by Valiant. Uh, so he's got a new company. Uh, let's see. Uh, Chris Ryle, the editor chief, we talked about this last time. I, I was doing a remote uh, thing. Uh, he has left IDW, has yet to reemerge, although I hear several places he might end up. Um, let me see. Then Sarah Gatos at IDW, she just announced that she is going to um, to Oni. She's leaving IDW to go to Oni. Uh, there is another big switch going on that uh, nobody's talking about that I haven't been able to find out about to talk about on the podcast. Uh, there's this people coming and going everywhere. And, you know, I think really I talked to a lot of retailers uh, the opening night at the reception. And um, it's really this is we're at the end of a cycle. You know, we're at the end of a cycle of comics 
and uh, you know, some said the dying of the cycle. I, I was talking to uh, to a, a retailer that I've known for about twenty years last night, and uh, he was saying dying. And I, I, I was trying, you know, for, he's doing fine actually. His store is is doing just fine. But I was, uh, I I, don't, I think dying is too strong a word. I think it's just end point definitely. You know, um, maybe it's Advent, uh, Avengers Infinity War. I think that you know Thanos <laughs> the. Cult- of uh, death, maybe it's 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 time for that. But anyway, you know, just just there's a lot of, um, you know, people wondering what the next thing is. Uh, I've been asking people, what's the new hottest? You know, what's the latest hot thing that's in your store? And uh, some people say, you know, Star Wars comics. Those came out like three years ago. Um, although one person said. Uh, that DC's heavy metal thing has been pretty hot, but but you know there's just a lot of people, there's just a lot of people waiting for the the next kind of craze product that's really going to pr- propel the industry back to to new heights. Um, you know, Marvel and DC did their presentations. Uh, they were, um, uh, let's see, they were separate. You know, usually traditionally here at Diamond, like at the ad, there'd be a dinner and Marvel would go first and DC would go last, and it was just like a long night. Um, so I'm really glad to see them broken out and very significant, uh, DC with had Dan uh, Jim Lee, they, they talked a lot about their new graphic novel imprints, uh, DC Inc., DC Zoom, Black Label that they've been talking about. It pretty much was the same presentation that they'd done at WonderCon. However, they did announce that, um, DC Nation Zero, which is a kind of a 25 cent promotional issue, has, uh, orders of a million copies, which Dan Dio is very proud of. And then Action 1000, which is a huge landmark, obviously has, orders of uh, 500,000 and so you know there's two huge selling uh, books for DC so they were justifiably pretty proud about that. Marvel uh, had kind of a new day maybe a fresh start and um, you know traditionally it's done by their sales and marketing director or pardon me senior vice president Uh, I do apologize for that David Gabriel and this time it was the new editor-in-chief C.B. Zabalski and uh, most retailers I talked to were really glad to see CB doing this presentation. They said it was lightning years ahead of uh, what had happened before. You know, last year, like, the press wasn't allowed in, and at Comics Pro, um, you know, no one was allowed to take notes. I mean, I've, I've had men in black suits patrolling the aisles at retail presentations just so because we might see some inha- inhumans footage, you know. Um so this time CB came out kind of talking about uh, his own history working in a comic shop, going to a comic shop, and really wanting to relate to people on that that level. And you know what? I think that was a really uh, good message. He ran into a little trouble at the end because there's a lot of controversy about Marvel's continuing... Uh, well, I say it's on Amazon Comicsology where comics are selling for 99 cents and... Um, a brand new graphic novel digital collections for 99 cents. So retailers have been really upset about that. And, um, you know, they asked CB what that was all about. And he said, you know what, we don't know. It's Amazon Comixology. And, all right, you know what, I'm not sure that answer satisfied some people. But, um, you know, that was the answer for that was given. So that that's definitely more to come on that. So, uh, anyway, yes, it continued. On those, that was a good, good presentation. So, you know, there's a, it's nobody has gloom and doom here. Uh, I would say, but there's definitely some people uh, looking very frankly 
at where the market is at. And, um, you know, I've definitely seen the end of the cycle. But but anyway, hopefully I'll have more to say about this when I'm back uh, from my travels. Hopefully next time we're all together, we can talk about this a little bit more. And um, there'll definitely be more to come on that. That okay. was great. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that was great, Heidi. All right. So, news briefs. <laughs> news briefs. Well, this brief is not so brief at all, but it is awesome. So, the annual um, Worldcon Science Fiction Awards, a.k.a. the Hugos, now in their 76th year, uh, have announced their nominees, including their graphic story category, which, yes, people, graphic no- story does mean graphic novel. They're just calling it graphic story, so they have room for some variety in format. And he- nominees are a really nice, wide, diversified list. And yeah. Calvin's favorite is on it. So without further ado. <laughs> That's true. The nominees are... Bitch Planet, Volume 2, President Bitch, from Kelly Sue DeConnick, and Valentine DeLandro and Takisoma, from Image Press. Black Bolt, Volume 1, Hard Time, from Saladin Ahmed, and Christina Ward, from Marvel. Monstrous, Volume 2, The Blood, from Marjorie Liu and Sana Takeda. My favorite thing is monsters, yeah, from baby. Parrot <laughs> yes, from Fantagraphics. Yeah, there you go. She's won every prize there is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Paper Girls, Volume 3, from Image, from Brian K. Vaughn and Cliff Chang. And Saga, Volume 7, from Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. There That's you. a lot of Brian K. Vaughn, Brian K. Vaughn people. Brian K. Vaughn is running against himself. All right. Yeah. And I almost feel like Saga should recuse itself in the same way that Girl <laughs> Genius did after it won three I know, years it's in a like... row. But, you know, that's, that's just a personal opinion. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. And speaking of graphic novels making that have made it big outside of the confines of, of our small comic book world, ElfQuest. ElfQuest, that strange little world-breaking comic that just sort of kind of helped revolutionize the uh, indie comics world in the 70s and early 80s is finally, finally, many years and some marital discord later, finish. Yep. Uh, ElfQuest is sort of a fantasy-science fiction comic about elves who do indeed frequently quest, but not in a way that reminds you at all of Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, no. Far, far trippier. Um, Has finally finished its final volume entitled The Final Quest. Um, It's been a long, long, strange trip. They've gone from their own label, Warp Graphics, to um, DC and Dark Horse and a few other places. Didn't Marvel? Marvel, I think Marvel published it for a time. That might have been before my time, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Uh, but, They've been published, but in book Wendy and versions. Richard Pini yeah. have have finally finally come to the end of the road. Um, not that ElfQuest will go out of print, just that, that now it is has is now a complete it's self-contained done. story. Yes, it's done. It is done. So no salute to Wendy and Richard Penny. Um, for I mean, a, Wendy's a, been drawing this thing forever. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think it's going on forty years now. Yeah, yeah. it's all right. So. 
congratulations to ElfQuest, and uh, congratulations to all the people who have held on since the beginning for the end. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Now, Kelvin, speaking of um, fan favorites, I believe you have an announcement from one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and actually, uh, we mentioned him a little earlier. Jaime Hernandez, of course, um, uh, uh, one of the, the co-creators, along with his brother Gilbert, of the famed uh, Love and Rockets uh, indie comic series. Uh, Jaime is doing his first uh, uh, children's graphic novel, and um, it's called The Dragon Slayers, and it's done for, uh, for Toon Books. It's coming out this month, and it's coming out simultaneously in in English and Spanish editions and in hardcover and trade paperback editions. So it's uh, it's a really kind of delightful book. I did an interview with him, and, and we did a story that just went up this week. And he what he's doing is he's illustrated three uh, traditional Latin American folk tales, uh, particularly the ones uh, that came out of Mexico. And uh, he worked on this. Uh, and he said that uh, you know Francois Mouly, the uh, the publisher of Tune Books, she uh, suggested that he do this many years ago. But he finally just decided that you know now's a good time. And uh, they uh, Francois gave him a, a sort of an, a reference book, Latin American folk tales from around the world. And uh, they went back and forth. So they picked three tales. Now the first one is called the Dragon Slayer. And it's, uh, it's as he puts it, it's a funny story. It's a princess story, but the princess has to do everything. And I mean, the princess has to slay the dragon. She marries the prince, but he's kind of adult, so he's got to save him. So she gets everything she wants in the end, but boy, let me tell you. She has to work for She it. has to work. So that's what he said. Yeah, she has to work for everything, and nobody gave her nothing. So uh, that's the dragon slayer. Then there's another story called Martina and Perez the Mouse. And this is a story uh, about and, – and one of the things um, Jaime said was he liked these first two stories in particular because uh, like his own uh, story, Locus, in The Love and Rockets, he's like the women – the young women and uh, – the girls and the young women, you know, steal the show. He says, just like in my comics. So uh, Martina and Perez the Mouse is a story about – you know, a um, a young woman uh, who rejects all of her suitors. You know, everyone, you know, various people in the town are coming to her. They want to marry her. She turns them down. She decides to marry, you know, a sweet little mouse. Now, it's a folktale. So of course, she so picked, he's not a metaphorical mouse. No, he's a mouse. He's an actually little, he's a sweet mouse. Now, he's very polite, and he doffs his cap when he sees her every day. And he's, just, you know, he's a, he's a cute little dude. She marries him. They're living happily ever after. One day she's cooking, Perez falls into a big pot of soup. Oh, no! <laughs> Awfully horrible. Everyone is distraught when they hear about this. Everyone runs to offer her sympathy. But as um, uh, uh, as Jaime no- says uh, when I interviewed him, everyone offers their sympathy, but nobody offers any to help her. Finally, an older woman in the village runs into the house and pulls him out of the soup, and they nurse him back to help. So, uh, yeah, I know. It's bizarre, but Jaime says... But, but folktales are. That's what he likes. He says, that's what I like about... Because I, I asked him, why would you pick these stories? He says, because they're so crazy. Um, 
And the last one is 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 called Tough in the Ants. And this is this one has like a young guy at the uh, as the hero. But what happens is that he's he's got two brothers, and all of the brothers, the father sends him off to do various work, and he's really lazy, and he kind of always goes somewhere and finds a place to sleep. So nobody trusts him. But as it turns out, Tup is actually he's lazy, but he's resourceful. So wherever he goes, he seems to manage to get somebody to do his work. And so while the other guys are working really hard, they do a pretty good job, but really their results are like, huh? When they finally catch up with Tup, you know, he's kind of convinced this band of ants. It's a folk story. He's convinced this band of ants to do all of his work for him. So Tup, in the end, shows up all of the harder working brothers. So just because you're lazy doesn't mean you can't get things done. Works. Work smarter, not harder. There you go. Not, I, yes. not a new idea. The moral of the story is obscure, but that's as good a one as any. <laughs> so in any event, uh, it was an absolute delight talking with Jaime Hernandez. Um, you know, we talked a little about his his drawing style for this. I mean, one of the things um, Jaime's comics are known for is many of them passages are designed to look like kids' comics, even though they're, they're not, as he said himself. Yeah, they look like kids' comics. But they play by my rules. Uh, he talked about, you know, the influences, which you can see in his comics, Archie comics, uh, Dennis the Menace, uh, and other such kids' comics. Uh, uh, Harvey comics like Richie Rich and Hot Stuff. So anyway, it was a delight to talk to him. Uh, and he's going to be at MoCA this weekend, so I'm sure he'll be on hand to talk a little bit about the Dragon Slayer. Okay, and we have we have one more brief, Calvin. It is a brief near and dear to your heart. The Fantastic Four, yes. at long last, yes. are returning to Marvel. Now, there has been much speculation about why, why such major Marvel characters, ones who actually were having fairly good sales, uh, were wiped, basically, from the Marvel Universe as a team in 2012 and have been yeah. absent for an astonishingly long six years. Um, there's some speculation that this may have to do with the fact that Fox had the movie rights. Yeah. Uh, but... You know, now that Fox and Disney are playing nice in the sandbox, I guess it's time for them to return. And what a return. They're coming in August 2018, and they've got a superstar team of Dan Slott and Sarah Pacelli, which, both of which sound like a great fit yeah. mm-hmm. for a team like Fantastic Four. And Calvin, I do believe you have some history with the Fantastic Four. Well, I mean, look, as the old fart comic book fan here, um, you know, I grew up in the 1960s. I mean, I, that's when I discovered Marvel. I discovered Marvel in that this, this, the, golden age, the golden age. The uh, it, well, the the golden age for Marvel revolutionizing superhero comics, right? Um, and the Fantastic Four uh, uh, and Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. Uh, you know, th- these are, I mean, I'm not the only one. Mm. They changed my whole comic book life. I was a DC reader uh, up until that point. And, you know, when I started really discovering Marvel Comics, discovering the Fantastic Four, uh, Spider-Man, uh, as well as the artist Steve Ditko, uh, that, it really changed my whole world. Uh, it really, I sort of stopped reading DC for a long time. Well, I mean, it was a dark time for DC. DC's comics were incredibly stiff, stilted, and corny in that it was, period. It was not a good time. And Marvel was an, an incredible breath of fresh air. I mean, it's hard to even describe it to someone now. I'm not even sure what, what I would compare it to. You know, maybe to, you know, the indie comic world. I mean, but this was superheroes like you had never heard before. It was like uh, they had... they. 
they they connected with readers in ways that superhero comics hadn't done before that. Um, uh, of course, the art was jaw-droppingly dynamic. I mean, that's what Marvel brought to the table with Jack Kirby and, and, and Dicko and the other Marvel artists. But really, for me, I was completely assessed with Jack Kirby and Steve Dicko. You and many, many other yes. comic readers. But their, their comics just brought a huge new level of dynamic uh, gymnastic action among the heroes and just great plots and stories. Yeah, and I would say that while a lot of Marvel heroes, not all, but a lot of them have changed a whole lot over the years, the Fantastic Four, for all the characters, have gotten a little older, there have been a few more kids added to the mix, the spirit of the Fantastic Four has been very consistent. Yeah. You know, they really are very much a sense of wonder book about Mm. all the weird and wonderful things you can think up and do in a comic as yeah. opposed to to just like let's hit someone yeah a- absolutely i mean one of the things about the marvel universe that really blew me away when i was a kid um because not only was i obsessed with superheroes i was obsessed with new york city and i mean we all sort of knew that metropolis and gotham you know were, we're sort of stand-ins yeah you know they sort. were surrogates you know but in Marvel world, they existed in New York. I mean, you saw Real the New York was Empire there. State Building. Yeah, yeah, and of course, you know, they were the, the Fantastic Four. They were they were in Midtown Manhattan in the Baxter Building, and it was just to me an imaginative twist that just seemed so terrific. Because of course, the biggest and the best and most grandest stuff is in New York City. So why wouldn't the the, the headquarters of a superhero team be there too? So this is just my you know. 12 year old <laughs> me, me teleporting back to the, my 12 year old self uh, and the delight I found in reading Marvel, Marvel comics uh, but it's good to see him back uh, I mean I think where they left off I mean I've kind of lost a little track of, of where they were now but there's a lot more kids they were off in space yeah they were off they, searching for new frontiers or something Yeah, and um, they have their own kids two of them and then there are also some other kids they were teaching and looking after yeah, who yeah. weren't their kids, but were, you know, kind of along for the yeah, ride. Yeah. So, well, yeah. So it's like married with children, you know, Marvel style. <laughs> so anyway, welcome back, Fantastic Four, the world's greatest comic book. And there will be more to come.